The Healing the City podcast is a ministry of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you enjoy the Healing the City podcast and wish to support it financially, you can go to villagersonline.com, click the We Give tab, and follow the instructions. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Dualism. So dualism essentially nice transition. Yes. Nice transition. Um, so dualism basically is the idea that there are two distinct realms, the physical, what we call the physical, and what we call the mental. Um, and you know, why is this the reason it's compelling is it's very obvious. It's like we could perfectly map out the brain activity for the experience of pain from a pinch. But that is not the same thing as feeling the pain from a pinch. Like they might be in direct one-to-one correspondence with each other. Right. But like, like, likewise, I could say about Michael, Michael is a man. Michael is a vegetarian. Both are true. But not one doesn't. Not so much anymore. Well, he, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been true a few months ago. Yeah, but that's enough. hey, keep going. Yeah, right. But <laughs> I, so it's like I just had to put that. Yeah, they're both in one-to-one correspondence, but they're not the same thing as each other. And in philosophy, if you were interested, they call this type token identity. By the way, I'm still a man. It's the vegetarian. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah we got to be clear about these things. We got to be clear about these things, especially yeah, yeah. in current year. Um, but yeah, and so. But there are problems with dualism. So, for example, fundamental physics, like one of the fundamental bases of physics uh, is that matter can only be acted upon by other matter. So, you know, for example, how could a thought exert physical force? Like a thought weighs nothing. So how could a thought in my mind that someone very close to me is in danger cause me to run toward them? You know, it's, it's like, how, you know, how does a non-physical thing move and, you know, cause a neuron to fire? Sure. And then how does that neuron, you know, and, you know, on and on. Um, so, so that's a, that's a big problem. Um, and so, I, but I think I've come up with a way of resolving this issue. Um, so this requires doing a little bit of fundamental cognitive science. So I'm going to talk about something that I learned from a professor. Some of the people in this church are familiar with John Verveke at the University of Toronto. Uh, this is called the frame problem. And so the frame problem was first uh, explained using a thought and uh, like a thought experiment where it's what's happening is there's some AI developers and they're developing a robot. And this robot's job is to find a battery and bring it home. You know, it's like it's food. Um, so what happens is there's a, there's a, a battery on a, like a wheelbarrow or a cart or something and the robot takes it home. Um, but the problem is, is that there's also a bomb on that same, um, on the, on the same cart. And so it blows up the computer. Um, so they said, okay, no, we need to, the problem was, is that it was, that the computer was computing its intended consequences, but not the unintended ones. So we, you know, that's not good. We need the computer to compute both. And so this time what happened was when they set the computer loose, it just sat there and did absolutely nothing until the bomb went off. And so they opened up the black box, you know, to, to show the, the processes that were happening within the computer prior to the uh, explosion. And what they found it doing was having like, you know, thoughts, quote unquote, along the lines of, if I move toward that cart, my angle with respect to the light will change. If I move toward that cart, I will be, f- I will be stepping on this blade of grass, but not that, bl- but not those blades of grass. 
Um, so it, it's basically considering everything. It's considering every possible consequence. So then the scientists, the developers said, okay, we needed to only consider the relevant uh, con- consequences, intended and not. And so this time the robot did the exact same thing. And when they and the bomb went off and they went into the, the black box of the computer and they found that it was doing things like saying, when I go towards that, um, the cart, I will be stepping on this patch of grass and not that patch of grass. That's not relevant. I won't think about that anymore. I will be changing my position with respect to that window. That's not relevant. I won't think about that anymore. And so the only problem is that there's an infinite number, infinite number of irrelevant things. And so this computer would never stop. So the solution that actually works is you need a computer that intelligently ignores, that's Verveke's language, uh, intelligently ignores almost everything and zooms in on the smallest of minorities of what's actually out there um, so that otherwise it doesn't go into some kind of computational explosion that renders it useless. Um, So what this means then is that we don't have comprehensive perception of reality. If we did, we'd have to have brains the size of football fields and, you know, talk about pain during childbirth. Um, But... um, so we, we have to have a, we don't have a comprehensive perception of reality. We can't. Um, and an example of this that we can cite in everyday life is that we can't hear dog whistles. They can. And so that's an example of something that's really happening out there by all appearances that we can't perceive. And how do we know what's happening? Well, because we can do, you know, use electronic like sound wave detectors and they pick it up and then we see the dogs freaking out. Um, so we've got good evidence that it's happening, even though we can't perceive it, which actually kind of addresses like Nathan in uh, the last episode. He, when asked, you know, about his beliefs and like why he doesn't believe, one of the things he said was, do you believe in colors that you cannot see? I said, yes. <laughs> right. And so I guess my example would be sometimes <laughs> like if there's external evidence for me to believe that that color is there, like just like a person with red, green color blindness, like they have all this evidence that there actually is a distinction there that they can't pick up because almost every one of their peers can do it. Right. Um, so I, I don't know if this is a way, you, a direction you want to go with this, mm-hmm. but um, we all, I would say, including Nathan, believe in things that we do not have evidence for. Right. Yes. Yep. Or, um, or at least we act as if we believe it. Yeah. And yeah. if we act if we as if we believe it, to a certain extent, we might say, well, then what is at all the difference between believing and yeah. acting as if you believe. Right. If you do it so firmly and consistently. So, um, things like the soul, and there may be a bunch of other things, but things like the soul are explanations that bundle together all kinds of things that we have in evidence, but, but go beyond the, the mm-hmm. literal, the literal straightforward evidence that we have mm-hmm. in front of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and we do mm-hmm. this about all kinds of things. Oh yeah, totally. Um, and it's perfectly natural to do. I think it's perfectly rational to do unless you're going to be an extreme empiricist or an extreme la- rationalist. Yeah. In which case, I don't know why you're so confident about the material world existing. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. I mean, yeah. I seems like you should be more confident and then less confident in a lot more things than typically people are. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, maybe you had a different trajectory that you wanted to take us. Yeah, so so I guess so, so here's the bringing the frame problem to address the mind-body problem, you know, mind, body, and, and maybe soul. Um, so here's the issues. One, the mental and the physical certainly appear to be qualitatively different from each other. 
So that's one point. Um, another point is that, you know, per physics, like matter can only be acted upon by other matter. So how could a thought move an arm, for example? Um, yet, nevertheless, the mental and the physical clearly do interact. Like if you believe something, it's going to affect your behavior. And if someone pinches you, it's going to hurt. Right. So like they clearly interact. Um, so if they interact, they must have a plane of existence that they share. Because how else could they possibly interact if they didn't have like a means of interacting? Um, but we can't see it. But maybe we shouldn't be too surprised by that. Like we haven't. We have a, a perceptual and cognitive system that gives us uh, a very small peephole view on the world by filtering out almost everything. Um, we know there are things we can't see and can't hear because you know there are aspects of like the you know like 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 we can't hear dog whistles. So we know there are things we can't. Uh, conceive of or perceive but we also know that the mental and the physical do absolutely interact and so my thinking is is that the world objectively speaking like the objective reality is such that what we call the mental and what we call the physical they have at least one common plane of existence that we can't perceive and understand but that's how they're interacting and as to if there's a soul maybe maybe that's where the soul is so um I said it kind of depends which which way you want to imagine the person that we're kind of talking to. I mean, may, maybe not talking to in this room, but talking to out there in the Internet, listening to this podcast later on. Are we talking to a person who's already a Christian? Because if so, um, the mind-body interaction problem is maybe a little more simple because everybody believes that if you're a Christian, that God interacts with the world. Well, God's spirit this world is physical. God interacts with the world. No problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then clearly non-physical things can interact with the physical mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Problem solved. And that would fit well with the, what, I, what I just said too. It's because like they clearly, it's like maybe we just can't perceive the common plane of existence. Right. So yeah. maybe we don't know how that happens. But it clearly is. But we know <laughs> that it happens. Yeah. Um, and we maybe have some things that we could talk about in scripture and then in personal experience and maybe some aspects of science or uh, mysticism that we could draw upon to explain it out a little bit further but maybe fundamentally there's not much w that we can say other than it happens we believe it does and and that's really the end of what we need to talk about however if you're coming from the opposite side of things right you're already super skeptical and you're not sure a soul exists that's going to be a stumbling block but the, the pressure point for me would be, so somebody says it's a fundamental law of physics that matter can only influence matter. And I would say, why does that have to be a fundamental mm -hmm. law of physics? Right. Um, can you do physics without that fundamental mm -hmm. assumption? Because I think it's a, an assumption that people bring to the practice of physics, but I don't see phys the practice of physics actually proving it. It's actually, yeah. It actually undergirds it. It's something that people bring to the enterprise rather than something that they're uh, establishing by the enterprise. Right, yeah. And I guess because it's like, well, here's a piece of evidence that, that the non-physical can affect the physical. I just knocked on the door. 
you know, because I wanted to get in, right? So that that's non-physical affecting the physical, or at least it could be certainly interpreted as that very easily. Yeah, and that's my point yeah. is that it's it's the fundamental assumptions that you're coming to the activity with, right? Right. And science basically almost like it like it it, it says like no god of the gaps arguments, no supernatural explanations. It's going to be physical, or it's not going to be anything at all. Right, which I think it's a great approach. I'm glad they do that because if you just kept saying, oh, God did it, it might discourage you from looking into how it happened. Now, someone could say, well, no, it doesn't because now I want to know how God did it. But uh, I'm glad there's an enterprise that doesn't allow for that science. But at the same time, we shouldn't expect them to get to find evidence for supernaturalism when they refuse that out of the gates. That's the point. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the point is that if your definition of science and how it's done refuses any evidence or even investigation or consideration yeah. of supernatural things from the get-go, Yeah. then of course you're not going to find any. Well, in one of the things in the Lee Strobel book that you gave me, uh, they were talking about this. Uh, it was like a liberal Christian org called the Jesus Seminar. Mm-hmm. And they basically... It's like in a lot of ways, it was almost like they're functionally atheists in a lot of way, or at least they seem like it because they wanted to like find evidence. And, I, and maybe I should take that back. I don't know enough about them. So I, I withdraw that comment. No, no, no. no. You're, you're on the right you're, track. You're on the right track. Oh, okay. So, but, so, go ahead. Yeah. But so like they, they wanted to find evidence for Jesus and like scientific evidence. But if I recall correctly in reading the book, one of their criteria was no supernaturalism. Well, you just baked your conclusion right into the process from the get-go. You, you, you guaranteed the outcome before right. you even started yes. looking. Yeah. 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 So, right. So they, their, their project was to rule out um, and rule in things that Jesus said versus things that di- Jesus didn't say. And they built a very um, non-scientific scale with which they, <laughs> are, they would use and, and different colors were linked to it so they could highlight the different parts of the Gospels that were and mm. to give you a certain level of confidence according to the Jesus Seminar. If I remember correctly, only reason I know even a little bit about this, I mean, I have right up there, uh, oh, do I, it's the meaning of Jesus. It may have me. moved. It may have moved. But I have N.T. Wright's uh, dialogue with um, Borg, Marcus Borg. Um, and Marcus Borg is a big Jesus seminar guy. Um, and so, yeah, I know a little bit about the Jesus seminar from that. But, yeah, Crossan was on the... I mean, it's a good analogy, right, to the scientific process. Is yeah. that if you... <laughs> So philosophers or logicians might call this begging the question mm-hmm. is that you bake the conclusion into the premises of the argument. Yeah. So then you get the conclusion. Hey, we got the conclusion. Well, you you made it be that way from right. from the way that you started right. the argument. Yeah. Um, but but the premise that's supposed to be the conclusion is the thing at issue in this conversation. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about souls or the existence of God or other supernatural events or things like that, that's exactly the thing that we're investigating. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be a good faith conversation or um, back and forth if we're just ruling it out from the get-go. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, it's it's not that we can't take into account things that science says are the case. We just have to come at um, come at these pieces of evidence with a eyes wide open, o- aware of how they how the people are coming to these mm-hmm. these conclusions, what they might be ruling out mm-hmm. as as possible explanations, um, and then we can look at alternative explanations. I mean, so one of the other things that I didn't get a chance to. Uh, talk about earlier as you said monism is materialism is monism and I said 
to myself in my head. I was like, well, that's one version of monism. Because the other version of monism is that there's no world material soul. world. world yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Right. Everything, everything yeah. is immaterial. And which sounds crazy to me and has always sounded crazy to me. But um, I come from a world where I'm taught science and the scientific enterprise starting at the age of like five, right? Yeah. Where where everything right we has right. all these assumptions right that you got songs to the scientific method exactly right right, right. Is, yeah well right. every physical thing that we experience is like we feel it through the mental you yeah. know what i mean we don't feel bricks objectively we feel our perceptions of the bricks which is a mental process in interaction with the outside world presumably exactly and that's yeah, the presumably yeah. part yeah, right? yeah 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 and yeah. that's the presumably part so yeah. so it, uh, it really does come down to what are the axioms or basic beliefs assumptions that you're coming in to whatever conversation mm-hmm. or or investigation with and and it's really really tough like i i've studied philosophy for a very long time but in a lot of these these conversations it's hard to make any progress whatsoever because mm-hmm. things are so basic and people feel the belief they have such certain confidence in them so that it's hard it's hard to make forward progress uh together with somebody you guys have probably noticed this but it's like often it's like once we have axioms set it's very easy and easy to be rational and 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 good at processing ideas but it's really hard to create axioms like even the simplest ones like um like all people are equal how how what's the objective evidence for that you know that's actually a great example um of something that is not very materially based right right in fact that kind of idea it's purely an idea well i mean maybe not purely i mean it has a history and it goes through christianity most especially Mm -hmm. the idea that all human beings are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights i mean there's a reason john locke said it that way Mm. because it's coming from the history of christianity right right so um the idea that all human beings have inherent value in virtue of being created by God. Um, and then that's the basis for equality. Mm-hmm. Now, plenty of atheists have taken that idea and and tried to isolate it from all the rest of Christianity now, the, now that the idea is out there in the common conversation. But it has, it has uh, you can trace its roots, right? You can see where it comes from um, and you can talk, you know, you can do the little genealogy of the idea if you want. And um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not the kind of like, but, but uh, okay. So if you say, well, prove it to me, you using science, like good luck, mm. right? Cause you're going to all of a sudden come up with every different way that each individual human being is different from another human being. Right. So in what way are they equal? Right. Right. So, I mean, um, so as soon as you pop up to the levels of meaning that, tend to matter most to people yeah we're outside of the realm of material evidence i think that's a lot of times where the problem starts is that like we have different axioms that none of us have really validated but we don't even realize sometimes we don't even realize we have different axioms like when a liberal and a conservative are are bickering with each other it's part of the reason might be because the liberal is looking at the conservative's position exclusively from their liberal position and the conservative is looking at the liberal stated position exclusively from the perspective of the conservative perspective that they carry well it's like if i'm gonna let's say we're taught having the abortion debate or something about like redistribution uh you know of wealth through taxes to help the less fortunate if i'm like a hardcore libertarian uh 
like and I can't look at things through your perspective, then I'm just going to think that you are in favor of laziness and stealing money from the more successful. Yes. And but it's like, well, let's look at you, you got to look at them both ways. It's like, well, yeah, well, that kid born to the single mom, they didn't choose that. And do you want a society with people that are that have no upward mobility in life? That's not good. But right. yeah, you, when we have different axioms, we I don't think we can ever really justify the axioms. And we sometimes we act as if we all have the same axioms, and therefore, if you disagree with me, you're stupid oh, or evil, right? Or uh, we we may not assume or that ignorant. we all have them, but, but we we assume that you should have mine. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Otherwise, you're stupid, ignorant, or yeah, evil. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is uh, the assumption. Yes. That whatever yeah, that's you hold, it. yes, is wrong if it's not lined up with me. Yes. Which is true for me only. But <laughs> <laughs> Eric, of all people on the earth, has yes. the correct axioms. Yes. And so, if you want to know how to get started. Talk to Eric first. He's yes. got the humility of Christ, too, which is <laughs> just great. Oh, boy. <laughs> Going downhill. But, but so any, other, um, any other points on the soul that you wanted to add, Mike? Any, like, other, like, you have a theory on the soul, evidence for the soul I mean, uh, that I, you haven't already said? I, I definitely am a dualist. Okay. Um, I, I vacillate between a more Cartesian flavor, like from Rene Car- Descartes, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and when that, you say Cartesian, nobody's going to know what you're talking yeah. about. Well, that's why I said more. Rene Descartes. Right? I know that, but yeah. they aren't still not going to know what that uh, is. So give okay. them like five right. words. I'll give you. Oh, no, it's going to take a little more than five words. But, but it's it's basically like the material world operates um, without the influence of immaterial things for the most part. And there's natural laws, physical laws, and there's all these different little. Uh, material particles that interact with each other and so on and so forth. And, and it's, it's pretty standard view of the world that most people have, except on top of that, their souls that interact through people's brains yeah. somehow. And they operate kind of like, I think the analogy that works best in my understanding is it's kind of like a radio transmitter. So there's some aspect of the human brain that is like a radio transmitter yeah. to the soul out there in some immaterial realm. And then the immaterial realm with the soul radio transmits back to the brain. And that's the way the mind and the body interact with each other. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I was just going to add my thoughts on that, but I'll let you, are you finishing? Oh, well, I'm finished with Descartes. I was going to say the other view, but go ahead. No, go for the other view. And then I'll throw in the other, the other view is that, um, that the soul is the form of the body. And this goes back to Aristotle and, and I get it through someone named Thomas Aquinas, who was a big time uh, theologian and philosopher of the middle ages. And so it's not so much a radio transmitter view. It's that each and everything, all things that you do, every way that you exist as a human being is informed by the soul because your soul is physically located exactly in and around your body. Um, and all, all parts of your body because it, it, it forms you. So it's like a immaterial DNA in a way. It's the kind of thing that makes you, you, um, and, and your physical being wouldn't be organized the way that it is if it wasn't for that soul. And so, yeah, I bounce around between these two views. Hmm. Um, and so do you think that souls are heritable? Like, so for example, it's like things like personality and intelligence, highly heritable. Now a Mm -hmm. materialist would be like, well, yeah, you pass your genes on your genes, create your brain and your brain directly shapes your personality and your intelligence. So uh, would you say that like, there's like heritability of soul? Yeah, I actually do. This is a crazier view of mine. Um, and I don't know who else 
would share it, but I, I do have that view. Yeah. It's called something like transducius and I don't know. <laughs> right. Why, I, right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. It's been a while since yeah. I looked it up. It has this crazy name. Um, and it goes back to one of the early church fathers. And I, I was like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of theological sense actually. Um, that it explains things like original sin in a way, um, mm. that, that the corruption of human nature that existed previously is passed on not just with like your genes, but your kind of physical, uh, your immaterial, your, your spiritual genes in a way Mm. get passed on as well. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for that crazy view as well. (laughs) Okay. But Eric wanted to to say something. Well, I was just going to, I wasn't going to say anything about Descartes. I was just (laughs) to say about the soul that, you know, Jesus pretty clearly says heart, soul, and mind that we're supposed to love with everything those three things and we can break that down to different stuff but i think i mean what people would have heard was for them the heart is the kind of the the seat of their emotions the mind is the seat of their volition and the soul is the seat of their essence like the so it's what's breathed into them by by god it's the animating personality that's melded between the two mind and heart so like it, it it it's what holds those together and in a mm-hmm. sense, it impressions the mind and the heart, and the mar- heart and mind impression the soul, so that they're like they're they're creating mm-hmm. this interesting I don't know what maybe imprint on each other. So, so I want to say I hold all these views fairly loosely. Yes, because I don't think, apart from knowing that God exists in His Spirit, that I need to have a really hard and fast view of exactly my i might call it an anthropology right a philosophical or theological anthropology i don't have to have a really hardcore to the point where hey if you don't agree with me then you're right you're stupid and evil Mm -hmm. right that's the the kind of thing i don't i don't need to have that kind of stance i'm telling you what i tend to have as my as my view um and i'll try to defend it best i can but if somebody was to convince me over time i might change my views on these things um and and but but in contrast to Eric, I tend to think of the soul as fundamental. So the mind is an aspect of the soul. The heart is an aspect of the soul. And the soul is the thing that, yeah. that you know, is the housing, the container for all of these different Well, and I think it's aspects. the thing that exists yeah. when I die. Okay. Yeah. And, it, and it carries all of me. Yeah. And I suspect with the resurrection carries an imprint of my physicality too. Cool. And that fits very much into the Thomas Aquinas or yeah. Aristotle view of what the soul is, is that it, it is the thing that informs your body, your material existence. So I'm glad mm-hmm. to agree with them. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Eric, Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Walk into a bar. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Was actually, do you guys want to start tying it up? Yeah, I think uh, we should. Okay. So I'll just, uh, I'll start off with a little bit of a funny thing. So this is kind of something we, we can't see the soul. We can't see uh the mental it's like when you look at another person you can't see their emotions you can only see actions that they do that make that allow you to infer what their emotions likely are based because you figured okay well if i was punching and screaming that probably means i'm mad so they're probably mad but we can't actually see the mad Mm -hmm. and so in artificial intelligence you guys probably familiar with this um the turing test after alan turing was basically the standard way and i think it still is of evaluating the uh the closeness 
to reaching the goal of of recreating human level intelligence artificially and the idea is is that since we can't see consciousness in other people we shouldn't expect to see consciousness in computers we create so the standard uh that we're pursuing is the idea that we have met our goal if a computer behaves in indistinguishably from human um and so I mean, back when I was at the University of Toronto and the Cognitive Science uh, Student Society, their T-shirt basically said on the back of it, um, what was it? Uh, it was something like, uh, I passed the Turing test indistinguishable from human. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. So that was, yeah, just came to mind. Um, but yeah, so like the, the two Christian analogies uh, or allegories to, that are relevant to what we're talking about today. Um you know, Michael's been to my house before, including before I was a uh, Christian and before I, I went to the church and all that. And so you've seen on my walls, like I have a, like the Sistine Chapel ceiling painting and I have, uh, you know, a picture of the, the, you know, like Adam and Adam and the snake or sorry, Eve and the snake and Adam at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I've had those for years, years before I became a believer and the reason I got those was just because there were these profound alternative interpretations, which is a, and they're really good examples of what I'm trying to communicate here to atheists, which is that there's a lot of profound wisdom in these uh, texts that exist, even if you don't believe the text literally. So, for example, the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that was the one tree that Adam and Eve were to not eat from. Um and so let's think knowledge of good and evil that basically means abstract thinking considerations of other people and all like you know their experience my experience big brain kind of stuff right so this kind of goes on to like you know humans have way more advanced social cognition and introspection than other animals we also have much bigger prefrontal cortexes than other animals um and so what was the punishment for for eve and women pain and childbirth well it's certainly going to be more painful to push out a big brain baby than a small brain baby <laughs> right and then adam's uh punishment man's punishment was toiling the field well it's like once you have that level of introspection and whatnot you start seeing your own vulnerability and that's the first thing they saw they realized they were naked they're like oh my god i'm vulnerable we gotta set we gotta fix that and so when you realize you're vulnerable then you have to start preparing for the future. Then you have to start having surpluses of food, which means things like farming become more necessary. You can't just assume that grazing is always going to work for you. You need a food surplus. And so there, there is an explanation for, um, for Adam having to toil the field as a punishment of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which presumably is a big brain activity. Um, this is all symbolic, of course. I, I interpreted it that way, at least. Um, then I also have uh, the painting of the, the the ceiling painting for the Sistine Chapel, and this is an insight I got from Jordan Peterson. If you've ever seen this painting, what it looks like is it's God is like on like a cloud like like shape, and he's touching uh, basically he's touching consciousness into Adam, uh, who's sitting on Earth or laying on Earth, and if you look at the cloud God is in, it looks a lot like a brain, like a dissected brain. Right. And then if you see where God's head is and where his finger, his arm is pointing out of to give Adam consciousness, it's the front, it's the prefrontal cortex where things like language and critical thinking and abstract thinking and introspection come. And so that, that is just amazing that Michelangelo did that. I don't think that's a coincidence. I know he was a Renaissance man who had interests in the sciences too and whatnot, but that's just mind blowing. And so like, I think even an atheist can be like, all right, that's cool. 
Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Give people a little taste for the future. Conversations with Ron. All yeah. Right. Good. Yeah, that sounds like where you're going to go with yep. these more al- allegorical interpretations of, of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Ron, for giving us a little bit of mono and dual on the soul there and materialism <laughs> and such. Idealism got short shrift. It's yeah. okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Well, thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks, Michael, for, yeah, thank you, for Mike. clarifying, straightening up, and giving us... Uh, Muddying everything, uh, exploding things into yeah. into irrelevance. It's fine, though. If you have, if anyone has further conver- uh, questions for me, uh, send them my way. Or to Healing the City at gmail.com yeah exactly yeah we'll we'll podcast michael answers your questions or i'll write something and then ron can read it off (laughs) there you go all right i don't think we have anything else to say that wraps it up guys all right all right right. you've been listening to the healing the city podcast this is the book of paul with ron brown and eric seepen if you like this podcast like us on facebook and instagram thank you And have a good day.